May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It is so good to be here with you this morning on this third Sunday of Advent. I'm the Reverend Jesse Gutzel Dodson, and I serve as canon to the ordinary on our bishop's staff. I am very aware that my title, canon to the ordinary, is relatively meaningless and very strange to people and worlds outside the church. For those who might need a reminder, a canon is someone who works closely with a bishop. It also means many different things in the church. And the ordinary in my title refers to Bishop Anne, who is the one we have elected to keep the order in our diocese. And so I serve alongside her, keeping the order in whatever ways she needs on any particular day, which as you might imagine, looks quite different day to day. Most often though, it looks like supporting and equipping our diocesan staff and helping with clergy and congregation transitions. I bring you her greetings this morning as she visits with the people of St. John's in Cuyahoga Falls this morning. As I prepared for today, I was aware of how my history and relationship with our cathedral goes back quite a few years now in my life. Beginning back in 2007, when my parents moved here, the kids were out of the house by then, they moved here, and we would come sporadically to the cathedral. Then 11 years ago, my husband Joe and I attended for a whole year as I completed my chaplaincy training at the Cleveland Clinic. For the past five years, I've served just up the hill a few miles at St. Paul's in Cleveland Heights. And since August, I'm happy to call Trinity Commons my office home now that I work here in this position. It's an always an honor, though, to be invited to our cathedral to preach the word of God, and I want to extend my gratitude to Dean Owens and Reverend Adrian and the wonderful staff of Trinity. Your clergy are not only people that I admire for their gifts of ministry, but also who I just like to be around, which is a wonderful trait to have with your cathedral staff. So thank you for the opportunity. I'm finding myself this season with a particular kindling of joy and gratitude. Our two young sons, aged two and four, are about to make their Christmas pageant debut next Sunday. They were born both within the orbit of the pandemic and there were no pageants or we chose to have them not participate in them in those first years of their life. And so it was with particular joy last Sunday that I watched them at their pageant rehearsal donning their shepherd costumes, ready to take on with their very bodies the story of the beginning of Jesus's ministry on the earth. I've loved it and I found that as I watched the rehearsal last week, I was having trouble following the storyline a little bit, which you would hope I know. <laughs> But the thing about Christmas pageants, in addition to being performed by small people, is that often it is a complete mishmash of biblical stories thrown together to make one sort of held together narrative. 
We even don't limit ourselves to just the Christmas story, but often we throw in epiphany there with the wise men at the end. The favorite Episcopal preacher, Barbara Brown Taylor, reflected on this, on our propensity to do this with our pageants. And she mused what it might look like to have a biblically accurate Christmas pageant one year. Say we were to pick just one gospel, perhaps the gospel of John, whose beginning almost we hear today. Well, pretty soon you have a problem with plot because there is no birth story in the gospel of John. So instead, what you might have is a cast of one child who stands in front of a curtain of black velvet and says, but one line, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth, the end. <laughs> Barbara Brown Taylor went on to say that this might constitute a savings in the costume and props department, but it would probably leave the viewers feeling seasonally shortchanged. What we have today in our gospel is less of a mishmash Christmas pageant and more of an Advent pageant. It's sparse, minimalistic, and in that it is revelatory. This morning we hear the story of the man who baptized Jesus for the second time in as many weeks. The Gospel of Mark, whose account we heard last Sunday in church, calls him John the Baptizer. Matthew calls him the more familiar John the Baptist. Luke calls him John the son of Zechariah. And then the Gospel of John today just calls him John. Missing are any narrative details like what he was wearing. If you recall, he wore camel's hair, according to Mark, or what he was eating, locusts, bugs, as we know from tradition. Instead, what we have today is a series of statements in the negative. John was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. When the religious leaders brought John to what looks like somewhat of a trial, they asked him about who he was. And he said, I am not the Messiah. I am not Elijah. I am not the prophet. If you are counting the negatives, they are mounting now, counting up to 10, no, not, neither, no. What we have here is an advent pageant. No north stars, no cattle lowing, no shepherds running astray. What we have here, when all those other details have been removed, is John preparing the way of the Lord in the wilderness for Jesus. Today in the church, we celebrate the third Sunday of Advent known by many as Gaudate Sunday, Gaudate Sunday, coming from the Latin Gaudate meaning rejoice. It's the Sunday that many churches change out of their purple and their blue vestments and don these beautiful rose-colored vestments, which we have. 
the Sunday that we light the rose-colored candle on the Advent wreath. For many, many years, the tradition has been to set aside the penitence of the Advent season and to center down into the joy of our faith. It struck me, though, for several years, a little ironic that on this day that we add a little extra skip to our liturgical step, that we read alongside that the story of one of the most self-denying characters of Scripture, John. This year, though, I'm finding myself leaning in to that irony and to that paradox, that paradox of abundant joy and a minimalist character. This solidified for me a couple of weeks ago when I was at a leadership retreat, some of you were there at Bellwether Farm with our bishop, and she gathered us all together at the start of the retreat near the beginning, and she said, we are here today to remind each other that God is God and we are not, and to give thanks for that. And I felt it even now, and every time she says that, there's a little exhale that happens in a room when people are like, oh, yeah, God is God and we are not, thankfully. And I find it particularly refreshing to hear someone of her office to say those words. It brings to mind the clarity of John the Baptist who when he was brought before those religious leaders and asked that fundamental human question, who are you? What do you say about yourself? He answered back with complete clarity, I am not the Messiah. I am not Elijah. I am not the prophet. I'm not trying to be any of those things. I am, he said, foreshadowing the later I am statements of Jesus in this gospel. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the pathway of our Lord. Or if you were to sum it up in the words of our bishop, he said, I am John the Baptist and I know that God is God and I am not and I give thanks for that. I am not worthy to tie even the thong of his sandal. We're often taught what can happen if we really know who we are and what we're meant to do in this world. Today, John reminds us that there is perhaps even deeper power in knowing who we are not. What a countercultural thing it is for us to remind each other of that. That despite what the world may teach us, we are not gods, creating, destroying, recreating our realities. We are not messiahs meant to fix and save everything around us single-handedly. We are not all-powerful. We're not all-knowing. We're not perfect, and we never will be. What a gift to name that for ourselves. What a gift to name that for our churches, these communities we ask so much of in our lives. To remind each other 
of how limited we are, how much we need God and we need one another. And then that deeper joy. That deeper joy becomes available to us when we have moved away all those distractions of our identity. And then we can take our stand and remind each other of who we are as people of faith. We are beloved children of God, each one of us. We are baptized into the light of Christ. We are not the light, but we are here like John to testify to it. We are led by Jesus who has supreme authority over all worldly powers. We are individually members of the body of Christ, each equipped with spiritual gifts for the building up and the healing of the whole. And we are not alone. Even Jesus had someone prepare a way for him. Our ancestors have prepared the way for us and we prepare the way for those who are to come after us. We are not alone. And so we gather today by the light of a rose-colored candle to give thanks that God is God and we are not. To, in the words of St. Paul, rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances. Because the first and last source of our joy, our vulnerable and ever-powerful Savior Jesus, is coming, and he will be here very soon. So my friends, let us rejoice. Amen.